Welcome to the Business of Beers podcast. This is the place where we help entrepreneurs expand their business, build their wealth, and generate passive income. I'm your host, Brian Beers, an entrepreneur who's on a mission to inspire growth from everyone around me. Remember that you need to take the action others won't, and you can live the life that others don't. Please be sure to check out my weekly newsletter that now drops every Thursday. It includes one quote, one tweet, one podcast recommendation, plus some business and investing insight from me. It's short and it's sweet. My goal is to provide you with just a couple gold nuggets to help inspire your growth. Go to brianbeers.com to subscribe. Hello, everyone. I'm excited today to bring you Amit Gaglani. He started, scaled, and sold his company to private equity couple years ago. And now he's the head of growth for Accountable Equity, which is a boutique private equity company that specializes in alternative real estate investments. Welcome to the show, Amit. Thank you, Brian. Great to be here. Awesome. So to start us off, can you give us an idea of your journey? You're 18 years old. Uh, I assume you're kind of going into to medical school, right? Um, maybe take us from that journey to start and then we'll go from there. Yeah, in high school, I kind of filled out these questionnaires and took these surveys that let people let, let me know what I was good at. And this one thing popped up called physical therapy, and I didn't know anything about it, did more research into it. And I thought it was cool, started volunteering in it, really liked the interaction with the patients and really helping them. So I kind of pursued that in college. I did undergraduate studies in uh, physical therapy, and then I got an opportunity to study in Scotland, of all places, uh, to go over there abroad. Yeah, we had a family friend that just kept raving about, come here, come here, come here. It's great. It's fantastic. And I said, well, honestly, when in my life am I going to get an opportunity to study in a foreign country and stay there for like three years and live the culture and travel around Europe and things? Because we all know once you start working, forget it. It's so hard to get away and peel away. So yeah, I was there for three years. And I got to say, it was the the best experience of my life, having rotations around different areas of Scotland and being able to travel and travel to Europe. So that was my forte into getting educated. And I basically came back and studied and you know, took the boards and started being a physical therapist. And then, um, yeah, somebody, okay. uh, so, somebody gave me a book somewhere in that journey while I was actually running offices for somebody else. And it was called, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm sure you've heard of it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I read it and I was like, wow, this is interesting. And then, they gave me another book, said E-Myth. And I said, wow, so now you, you can run a business and now, now, now you can actually try to systematize the business. So that, that, that got the bug. I gave me the bug. Okay. All right. So then when did you, so you're, you're working in a practice as an employee. Yeah. When did you, like what year was it or how old were you when you decided to kind of go out on your own? So I had been practicing probably about four or five years. Ooh, what year was this? This was probably in 2003. That I decided, hey, I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to open up my own practice. And I, I just kind of had that determination that, you know, I, I, I didn't know enough to, to scare myself into, you know, not doing it. But at the same time, I was like eager and, and, and things. So I just jumped in. I, um, the, the practice that I was running at the time, I decided to run it Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays. So I would literally be there 13, 14 hours a day doing 40 hours a week, Monday, Wednesdays, and okay. Fridays. And I opened my own on Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Okay. So my week was pretty packed there for a while until I built up my private practice enough that it overtook the other mm-hmm. job. And then I let go of the other job. So kind of financially, it was kind of seamless. Okay. Yeah, it was a time. smart approach. And nice you had that flexibility to like kind of set your own schedule like that, right? Yeah, that that was key. But yeah, I, I basically packed in my patients and I got it done. So like... It all, it's all numbers, right? If your numbers are good, no one really bothers you. So yep. Yep. Yeah, my numbers were, were, were great. So then, uh, so it's like 2004 or whatever, 2005. Now you're kind of on your own. 
Yeah. Uh, and this is in New Jersey. Is that correct? This is in New Jersey. Yeah. This is in uh, Northern New Jersey. Yeah. Okay. Although Northern New Jersey people tell me I'm Southern, I'm it's Central right. Jersey and Central Jersey people tell me I'm. Uh, Northern, right. Yeah, I so. get it. I get it confused with our, <laughs> our stores up there, what to call it. But I just say it's across from New York City, just it's yeah, there somewhere outside of New York City. Uh, so yeah, that, that was around then. And I just kept trying to, I quickly realized that I didn't really know much about business. I knew how to treat a patient really good. I had a board specialization in orthopedics. So patient treatment was easy. I could do that, but I didn't really know how, how to run and scale a business. And I would honestly just ask other people, well, how do you do it? How do you do it? And okay. quickly realized that they didn't know anything. They, they didn't know anything. They're just giving me their opinions. And I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah. there's got to be a better way. So I basically tried to get educated. And I found a company that basically treat or trains you to become a CEO, an executive of, of your own company. Okay. So think of it this way. You can go for an MBA and get theoretical knowledge. Then you got to take that theoretical knowledge and apply it. These, these guys were giving you practical knowledge that you have to apply. Every time you take a course... You got to go back and you got to apply it for like eight weeks at okay. a time. And was it, so uh, then, was it specialized into yes. physical therapy? Okay. It was created by a physical therapist. Later, it became for veterinarians and dentists and chiropractors and oh, other medical people too. Yeah. yeah. But really, they started off their roots as, hmm. a, you know, physical therapists. So it was like, it was, it was definitely exactly what I was looking for. It was the answer for, you know, for me. Okay. And I spent about five years just going back and forth and training and implementing. And then, you know, my company kept growing bigger and bigger and, you know, that helped me scale it. You know, I got to a decent size, like four, four offices I had. I had about 40 employees, but I quickly realized that every time I would open another office, I'm taking money out of my pocket, waiting for that money to come back and that money would come back. And then I would just take money out of my pocket again for it to come back. And I'm like, this is a cycle. I'm like, when do I ever get to enjoy any of this stuff? So, um, I kind of realized that I, I, in order for me to 10 exit, I, I need to think a little bit differently. I need to look at it a little bit differently. And private equities and what we call strategics, which are like larger physical therapy companies were, were, you know, coming after me in the sense that they really wanted to acquire me. A, because of some geological presence that I had and B, because the, the, the whole marketplace was kind of being consolidated. Okay. So I took, I took that as a cue to let me start, um, talking to these private equity companies. Let me see how they value companies and see what they're looking at. So I really just wrote down a bunch of it. And I said, all right, for the next two years, let me go to work and start working on these numbers that I know that they feel are valuable. So I built the company up to the highest potential sale value. And when I was ready, I said, okay, I'm, I'm ready now. Let me put myself out to market. But I knew that I, um, I wanted to be the, um, uh, a big fish in a small pond as opposed to a small fish in a big pond. So I did not choose to go with a strategic, a strategic meaning a larger physical therapy company, because quite honestly, all they'd want me to do is treat patients. Okay. Yeah, they yeah, give me a couple million an, dollars. You become an employee, basically. You got it. That's right. what they want, right? Yep. They give you a couple million dollars and say, hey, congratulations, you're a millionaire. Now go to work and now see patients all day. Yep. And that wasn't... Now, truth be told, I liked patient treatment, but I knew I could do more. I mean, yep. could hire other physical therapists to treat patients, but they couldn't hire the executive that I've just spent all these years to, to get trained up. Sure. On. Okay. So, you know, I said, all right. So I, I, I joined a... A new private equity company that was forming a healthcare vertical. They didn't have anything in healthcare and they really wanted to get in. So I was one of the first practices that they acquired. So, you know, it, it put me in a good position in the company itself. So, um, and then we just started acquiring many others across the country. And then we had over a hundred practices and uh, from Maine all the way to Washington state, you know, and that took a couple of okay. years to build. Okay. So in the second model, there, 
they kind of need you a little bit more. You're the first one. You're kind of the 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 expert in the space, right? So then, I guess it it sounds like you then took on more of a leadership role in in than the acquisitions of some of these others, or like how did your role change, or, or did it not? So we definitely had a C-suite. You know, we, when the private equity comes and takes over, they hire their own C-suite. But their C-suite sometimes, you know, comes from large corporations, but they don't really know private practice per se. But you're considered a B partner, so you're respected and your opinions are more respected um, in, in something that's newly formed as opposed to a, a roll-up where yeah, you're just you're another number. Okay. Yeah, so really you're kind of crafting like what role do you want to take here? What do you want to do? And I kind of looked at it like, well, we have a C-suite, but what what do we not have? And I decided to take something that's pretty unpopular amongst physical therapists. I wanted to negotiate against the insurance companies and try to squeeze them for a change instead of me being squeezed by the insurance companies. So I was the one who would negotiate contracts for our practices across the whole country. So Okay, interesting. Yeah. So a lot of times when you're small, you can't negotiate at all with the insurance companies. They won't call you back. You can't get anywhere. But when you're big enough in scale and size and you're able to say, well, we deliver care to this many bodies across this many states. Yeah. They start to listen. And, and, and how then, effective were you? Like what kind of increases were you able to? Depending. Achieve? Yeah. But with health insurance, when it comes to commercial, it was less, you know, uh, but when it comes to other, some specialized insurances, I was able to increase it by 57% because nobody had tried before that. Well, they tried, but they just didn't know the right angles to use. Oh, wow. You know, so in some cases, I, I significantly scaled the numbers up from where okay. they were. So when you, so when you when you sold it, I guess a couple. I have a couple of questions backing up. Sure. So you said, you know, one of the things you did was you built the company to get it sold to maximize the value. Right? Yeah, they so had an were, EBITDA formation. Yeah. Yeah. So EBITDA, what were some? Of, yeah. So what were some of the things you had to do, or like what did you know, like they're looking for to yeah. be able to do that? So, a they look for uh, the EBITDA. They have a multiple and each geographic region, each specialty, and each like niche might have its own. Um, okay. multiple that they're looking at. And plus, you can negotiate that as well. So I had a generalized idea what other private equities and what other um, companies were adding a multiple. At that, time, that? at that time, it depended on... So if you had a multiple, if you had an EBITDA of, um, I don't know, uh, 200,000, you're going to get, let's say, a, a two multiple. If you're like 500,000, you're going to get a multiple of three, three and a half. But yeah. I don't remember the exact one at that time because it, it has changed over time. And then once you're even there because if you're new and they really want you, they're going to be, they're going to push that up higher. So if you're at a, a million dollar EBITDA, you can command, you know, five, six, seven, eight multiple possibly, you know, depends. Yeah. Okay. So I was in a position in, in, in the driver's seat because A, they were new, they were hungry, they wanted to get in. I was a proven entity because I'd been around in business for long enough. And I wasn't, the other thing that was beneficial for me, a lot of physical therapy practices are mom and pop you know, owner operators. So they're the one providing the treatment. They're everything to the business. If they step away on vacation, the numbers fall down, yep. right? I was an acting CEO and I wasn't literally treating patients. Yep. So for me, I could go away from the business and that was more attractive to them. Sure. It's not oh, yeah. all based on my back, you know? Yep. Obviously it's my relationships with the physicians and things like that. But so all these things play a factor. Okay, so then you work to, to just make the business more profitable because the more profitable you got at the higher multiple you, you were going to get. So then when you sold out to them, did you sell the whole thing or did you sell 70% of it or kind of what? Good question. What did that look I, like? I, I actually retained 30% and I sold 70%. Okay. So you retained 30 in in this new structure that went from four locations because you were the first one to, to over 100, Correct. right? And then at then at some point, did they buy you out or do you still own shares in it? Or what does that look like today? 
Uh, well, today, if you fast forward that, you know, once we kept building and building, we were basically attracting higher or mid-sized private equity companies to look at us. And what happened in that case was a mid-sized came and they said, okay, we're going to, we want to, we want to purchase you. And the funny thing happened there too. They were a private equity that had tried buying other ones in the past and had failed and they got beat out on, um, on biddings. Yeah. So this time they did not want to lose. So they overbid by a significant amount to, to make sure they don't lose, which is great for, you know, great and for it, us. At what level is that? Is it like eight to 10 multiple? Uh, 12 to 16. 12? Oh, wow. Multiple? That's crazy. So you're talking so about, you, yeah, once you roll you, it up. Did you double your money though? Like the money no, you made they have 70? A, was it doubled well, again at 30 kind of thing? It, it, it doesn't. Well, they're not the, the way they do it strategically. They will double your shares, meaning, sorry, for your mine, mine was called arrow physical therapy. My arrow physical therapy was at a certain multiple and you get a certain increase, but not for the whole parent thing. For the whole parent thing, they give you common shares. So they have it all broken down in Got a legal it. format. So they're not, you're not going to see the huge thing. You're not going to become yeah, yeah, a billionaire yeah. overnight just because everything kind of worked out that way. But, Got it. but, but a significant bump, like your 30 correct. became worth a lot more correct. than the 30% that you sold. Like, right. Then. Okay. Gotcha. And the things that you run through your head is like, if I did this alone by myself and I kept going the way I was going, would I have equated this number at the end? You know, would I have gotten Would have you? I mean, that that's kind of a, a judgment call. And my judgment call was based on what was going on in the industry at the time. It made sense for me to sell, sell because what I saw was ACOs, which are called accountable care organizations, gobbling up practices. What I saw was hospital structures buying over primary care doctors and kind of telling them where they can send their patients to. Mm. So I saw my market share kind of decreasing, right? Got and it. I saw my ability to negotiate with insurance companies as non-existent. Okay. So it's either, and, and I saw my my cost of labor going up. So when I was looking at my metrics and when I was, and I used to run the company by statistics and statistical graphs, when I saw those statistical graphs, I'm like, okay, it doesn't look like it's getting any easier. Yeah. Do I want to fight the fight or do I want to partner with somebody that yeah. has a, a better angle? And that's, that was the okay. angle that I chose. And take the chips off the table and continue some more growth and then take the rest of the chips off the table is what it sounds like. Yes. And then invest in other syndicated deals, which I did with real estate and things like that, which was of interest to me as well. So then in 2021, that's when the other private equity came along and said, okay, we're going to buy everything over. And they said, well, you know, now that we did that, because we paid so much, we need to cut certain costs and we don't really need you to do what you were doing. We need to kind of figure out wh what it was. So they bought all, all my shares up because they wanted to see the, the, um, the, the benefit of buying all the shares. Yep. And, okay. you know, they have their strategic plans too. Could, yeah. Okay. Could have you stayed if you wanted to, or they was kind of forced by sell agreements that you're kind of forced if they choose by to? sell agreements. Yeah. You have a tag along, drag along rights if they wanted to keep you, but they bought everybody out. Yeah. That was their thing. Their, their model was let's buy everybody out and let's go really, really aggressive with what they want to do. So, yeah. and I think they did that because of how much they pay overpaid. Yep. Yep. Well, if you can increase the cash flow, like the returns, right? The, the multiple gets lower if they can get a significant bump on the, the EBITDA, right? If they can add a million bucks right away, it's that much less. Yeah, and so. they don't want to share it. So yeah. Yep. Cool. So pivoting to, to accountable equity, tell us for those who don't know what it is. I mean, I'm, I'm a big proponent. I'm an investor, you know, in the group. Um, and so I, I believe in it. But for those who don't know, what is, what is accountable equity? Well, I think there's a little bit more of a backstory with accountable equity because I knew accountable equity at when I was actually an owner of the physical therapy company and I was investing with them yep. with what Josh McCallan had started over there with the original like Renault winery. 
you know, I was one of the um, investors that uh, first, I don't know what number investor, but back in 2019, early 2019, I invested and I loved my investment over there. And I saw what they were doing. And I said, okay, then they did another one in Kent Manor. Uh, and I said, I'm going to be an early investor there. So I was just an early investor in all these things that they were doing. And I was also getting other friends of mine to invest there too. So when I sold my company, you know, Josh from Accountable Equity was aware and he said, you know, you obviously like what we do because you keep bringing other investors here. You have a lot of free time now. You sure, why don't you help us scale and, you know, scale this business and help us, you know, you know, get to somewhere where we want to get to. I honestly took my time to figure out what I wanted to do because I was in a position where I said, you know what? I don't know if I necessarily want to start another physical therapy company or I want to go down that same road again, but you know, I want to sit down and figure out what do I enjoy? What do I like doing? And what do I, what am I passionate about? And yeah, I am very passionate about doing these types of um, syndicated deals and investing in real estate and looking at the funds and things like that. So it kind of made sense. So when he offered me a position as head of growth to kind of, you know, help accountable equity kind of take off, I, I, and he also offered me something very interesting. He said, Ahmed, I want you to create your own fund. Look at it from a point of view, from you as an investor, what would you like in this fund? And kind of um, write all the things down that you want and create a fund and let's reverse engineer it so we can actually reverse engineer the math to make it work. And I mean, an opportunity like that doesn't come along very often. So I decided to write things down and I started talking to a couple investors and we said, okay, well, let's put together a fund. So that's what kind of happened with Accountable Equity. And they're known for their as you know, resort wedding like uh, buildings and, and 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 structures. So you know we, we've gotten quite known for those resorts and those daytime day day destination like places where they're doing weddings and outdoor events and like during the winter time doing like you know outdoor markets and ice rinks and things like that. So yep. yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool what they've what they've created there. You know, they take they take I think it's you know historic, really beautiful buildings that have been neglected. And they breathe new life into them. They invest millions and millions of dollars, making them into these beautiful destinations that that brides all over the uh, probably tri-state, maybe, maybe a little bit yeah. more. I don't know how far the reach is, but come and uh, you know, from the stats I've heard, Renault is one of the top grossing wedding venues in the U.S. I believe, right? It is. I think we we service more weddings than anyone on the East Coast, as far as I know. Yeah, yep. and uh, right outside Atlantic City, and, and not uh, dot com, you know, gave us all these awards and things like that. But yeah, yeah I mean, we have. I mean, think about it. We have a winery that's there. We have a, you know, we have a golf course. So while you're golfing, you know, you and I have both seen, you yeah. know, probably lost a couple balls there too. But uh, <laughs> inside the uh, the groves over there, but yeah, it's it's a beautiful area, especially when it's yep. sunny and beautiful. It's a nice so, area. So anyway, that's why I invest in it's different, right? And people are always going to get married. And these guys, like, you know, they know how to renovate and they know how to run it. Um, so let's talk about the fund then. So you said y- your goal was to reverse engineer this fund based on the, the things you wrote on this piece of paper and then design it around it. So I guess, what did you write down on that paper? Like, what did you want this thing to look like? So not only did I write some things down, but then I had to kind of make sure that what I was thinking worked. So I was talking to different investors and getting their opinions on things too. And they were kind of you know, I took some things out that I had and I added some things that they had to really just kind of survey the, the audience and who, who are like our investor community to find out from a certain group of people, like, you know, what are they looking for? They were looking for like high yield. They were looking for monthly distributions, you know, for people to actually pay their bills with that money. And they were looking for like liquidity, which is not something you really see in many investments. I mean, I invest in other things too. Look, I invest in multifamily, but there's not a liquidity option. You can't pull your money out when you need it or when you want it. You got to pull it out when it's available to pull out after a refi. In this situation that they can actually pull their money out when they want it, you know, 
so that that's a big thing. Think of a CD, but with the option of being able to pull your money out. And I say CD because people think bank CDs give higher rates, but our rates are significantly higher than bank rates. So anywhere yep. from 6 to 10%, depending on how much they're putting in. Okay, so they're putting into, and it's called the Collateralized Debt Fund. That is correct. The CDF, we call it CDF, but Collateralized Debt Fund. It allows our investors to be the bank. So people say, well, what does that exactly mean, be the bank? Yep. So we are taking, and for anybody that's ever invested in uh, accountable equity, they know the properties. They know the amount of cash that is being spent off from these, you know, th- these properties. So in, in these properties, we have, like, for example, our immediate use of the funds um, is our Kent Manor, right? At Kent Manor, we have some loans, like we have, let's say, hard money loans. Well, they're at what they call a mezzanine debt level, which is right below the bank. So if we remove that that mezzanine debt level from the um, uh, from that lender, all right, and we use the CDF money, the mm. people who are investing in the CDF, and we actually place that there, the CDF investors now start making money. Now we've been paying this loan to a hard money lender for the the whole time, and we've had no problem doing it. And wh- what's the what's the rate on that? The rate that we're on, yeah, I'm paying sorry, the hard money. Paying. Yeah. So the hard money can go anywhere from twelve to fourteen percent. Okay. So, so, so then you're coming paying, in max 10, it. but it's probably going to be blended at six or something or eight. Um, it's blended. But now if you take a look at it, who benefits from that? Well, the property significantly benefits. So any LP investor that's invested in that property, let's say yourself, yep, you get more the benefit from right? it. It's yep, more profitable. Exactly. Now the property is more profitable. You as an investor in the CDF are starting to get payments, you know, so you're benefiting. Our whole thing was really focused around our investor community. We want our investor community to benefit. Here we are paying a hard money lender that they don't really know us. They don't really care about us. They just want their payments. But if we can pay our investors, it, we feel better about it. Now our investors get to win and our investors get six to 10%. You know, they're getting paid and they're at a mezzanine debt level. So it means that they're a creditor. So on a, you know, what we call consider yeah. what a waterfall is, they're in a much higher position than anyone else. They actually get paid before accountable equity itself or any LP investor. Okay. And so that's how the, the fund structured at, 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 as a debt, as an actual correct. debt position, not as an equity position in class A or whatever the highest is. It's that is exactly correct. It's at a debt position. So it gives them that credibility of knowing, okay, well, yeah, we're at a debt position. We're a debtor. We're a creditor. Okay. Which is different than, you know, a an preferred LP. return, which is what I think they've done before, which is like they're, you know, equity class, our equity class or preferred return, right? Preferred that's exactly. return equity, but like, you know, you're above other guys, but then there's no growth potential either. So you like you, you kind of balance like what you want cash flow or, or growth. So, but this is interesting, yeah, because it's it's debt and it's and it's substituting debt that's already there. It's not like they're going out and taking more debt. It's just this is correct. But you're just our, replacing our, our intention right now is to first start with that. You know, uh, you know the other things that are potential down the road are we get tremendous amounts of opportunity for acquisitions for other things. So if we are the bank, we can execute on those too without having to do jump through a lot of hoops. Once again, these are accountable yeah. equity properties and accountable equity things yeah. that we want to be able to. And a lot of times it's because we're buying distressed real estate. So it's, it's harder to get a traditional commercial mortgage, right? Cause it's, you know, maybe there's it's also cash time. flowing or it's time, right? There, there's also time it takes to have that, those introductions to geographically located banks. Cause you're not using one bank that services everywhere. You're losing, you know, you're developing a relationship with a local bank and that takes time. And sometimes that time actually costs you money because we're able to negotiate great things, but they're time sensitive. Yeah. But when you're, when you're, when you have the CDF and you are the bank, you can go in and just say, well, this is going to be a bridge loan. 
we're just going to use this to get in and then, you know, we can replace it with something else. We have tremendous need always of being able to use cash on our properties. You've seen like on Renault, we, we may not have enough hotel rooms. We need to build more hotel rooms. Yeah. So there's yeah. other things that we can always use the cash for. So it's never, never a lack. So, so, but then how does it sit as, I mean, it's a technical question, but like, so you take out the debt of the, the whatever property, but then the fund itself, I mean, you're raising money for, for uses that aren't to be known yet. Correct. So the the primary, our primary use is going to be right away. We're looking at, there's plenty of replacing those hard money loans that we can go around on all of our properties. Okay. There's a lot beyond that. Well, yeah, Yeah, because we have, you know, three large properties. So we have, you know, quite a runway. But beyond that, there might be things in the PPM that would allow us to be able to use other things, gotcha, but as other you. things that are very similar to what, you know, accountable equity stands for. Cause we've, we're kind of transformed into like a boutique private equity with so many opportunities that come. There are other wineries. There are other wedding venues. There are other things that we can execute on marinas, like, you know, yeah. um, you know, there's other things that kind of fall in yeah. our scope. Yeah. So talk about the growth plan. I mean, you're the, you're the head of growth, right? So like, what's the vision of, is it is it sticking to the tri-state? Is it going east coast? Is it anywhere in the country? Like, I guess first start geographically. Like, what's the what well, area I do can, you want to be in? Well, I mean, it, it more or less goes to we look for opportunities that we feel like we can capitalize on, right? You know, we know what we're good at, and we want to be able to capitalize on those. And those opportunities are literally coming all over the place, from Florida to Texas to everywhere. You know, we might look at a strategic area and say, well, we might not just want one over here; we might want several over here, just for you know, consolidation and things like that. But I can tell you we're getting, you know, the only reason I'm not mentioning is because we might get 20 or 30 things, but out mm-hmm. of them, not all of them make it down, you know, the, the, the funnel. Yep. Yeah, do because you, there's just a lot of nuances of things that happen. Yeah, But there is any, lots of things. Do you have any now that are like in the, like we're, totally in the pipeline? We're looking at a happen? marina. We're looking at a marina that's right outside of our Kent Island property that kind of would be very uh, symbiotic for us because we can capitalize on our strong you know, wedding revenues and our strong wedding sales hmm. that we could put weddings right there too, because it's right down the road. So these are, they kind of fall in hand in hand. So once again, we're still at the, in the due diligence process and there's things that we need to kind of figure out, but it's made it far enough along that we're, you know, excited about certain things and we're looking at certain things. But these are, like I said, one amongst a lot of other things that yeah. we constantly look at and we're looking at those things. One of the biggest things that would scare me as like the op- operator, right? Is like the, you know, a lot of it's regional now. It's it's the tri-state, and it's like you're going to to Florida or Texas. It's the people. Like, how do we how do we hire a great manager to run that place? And like being spread outside the country. I mean, yes, we can buy assets and hotels, but it's all about the experience, and that's all about the people, right? So, yeah. Have you thought of that of so, how you get to have consistent experience across the? Yeah. The so what Josh and Melanie had started, which you're probably aware of, is their their Viva May, which is their their hospitality wing that controls the hospitality and all these different assets. Because if what you're saying is true, then, well, how do you, why would you buy something all the way in Maryland when your central area is New Jersey? How are you going to control it there? So exactly how they controlled it there is what they would do anywhere. So they have this hospitality company called Viva May. And what Viva May is really, really good at doing is really getting the culture going inside the organizations and inside these things. And an example of that is when I first visited Renault, when I was kicking around the tires, when nobody knew who I was and nobody knew I was an investor, you know, I went there just to go look at what's going on there, right? Because I owned a company and I know setting up the culture is really important. You don't want disgruntled employees, you know, working there because what kind of hospitality would that be? So I wanted to go check it out. What I noticed is as soon as I went on the property, somebody opened the door for me and said, welcome home. They didn't know I was an investor. Walk in the hallway. Somebody says, you know, welcome home. And you've probably experienced this too when people have said that to you. 
when I first heard it, I was like, what are these people talking about? Like, what? I don't get it. Like, what is this? I'm like, they don't know who I am. Why are they saying this? I don't live here. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't get it. But then I started to realize this is the culture that Josh and Melanie instills. And they have weekly meetings. I mean, literally weekly meetings where they talk to whole staff about Viva May culture, about the culture, about, you know, hospitalities, like, you know, the, the client comes first to open the door for him, greet them with a smile, talk to them and say, you know, welcome home, make them feel warm. So they have those weekly meetings, no matter where it is in the country. And that's something that they really are very strong about. So anybody they hire has to understand that. So they bring this type of culture to everywhere they go. And that culture really drives, you know, people like you and me, when we go there, we feel more comfortable automatically. Yeah, and that's another kind of benefit, I think, of the of the investment. It's like it's all controlled, right? It's not like you're buying a hotel that's just handed off to like a Hilton and a third party to manage it. Like it's right. all it's all contained and controlled by the same group of people who have aligned that's right. values. Um, yeah. So, so we don't have to worry that some outside management company is doing things that we don't know. Like we are the company that's actually handling it too. So we're not we're not just the owner, we're the operator as well in those respects too. And and resort properties have a lot of levers, you know inside them to to increase cash flow. For example, at Renault, we have a wine club because we have our own winery. We have, you know, golf. We have golf membership. We have different things that we have can control on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You know, like for example, the the hotel. We can control the rates on a daily or multiple times in a day, the rate. Yep. And fluctuate yep. it. We have wedding sales. We have all these additional things. Yep. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So, so what are what are your top two goals now? Is it I guess it's this fund, right? The goal is to to hit a number on this fund, and then after that, what's what's your next big like objective? Well, this is an evergreen fund, so okay. you know it, it's 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 just going to stay never, open. It's never over. It's never. It's never over. So it allows people to move in and move out. And you know, uh, the great thing that we also did to allow our investors. So we have very loyal investors. You know, people like yourself, people like other people who, once you go to the property, you're like, okay, I get it. I totally yeah. understand why people would invest in this, right? Um, and, and we talk about don't don't be an emotional investor when it comes to you know the stock market. But really, when you go to these properties, you become a, it's an emotional investment. Why? Because you see people getting married, you see people having fun at outdoor events, and you see that, and that is an emotional thing, right? So you can understand why somebody would want to be a part of that. So as far as like where do we want to go with with all of this stuff? I mean, we're right now fixed on because we just launched CDF literally last week. So we're kind of focused on making sure that people understand what the CDF is and understand that we're getting back to investors and communicating. And, and we know that, look, communicate with us. Let us provide you with the information. Get comfortable with us. You know, come to the resort. You know, we're there to to show you, like, what makes us so special. Hmm. Um, beyond that, you know, there's all these different acquisitions that we're looking at and these opportunities that we're looking at and even possibly partnering and, you know, doing JVs with with people that we know, like, and trust. So. Um, you know, Kent Manor, Renault, LBI National, these are um, our properties now, but there's more to come. There's yep. definitely more that we're looking at. Awesome. It's exciting. Like I said, I've, uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in it too. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing a little bit more about your story growing the company. And then now obviously, you know, helping, yeah. helping um, you know, accountable equity grow and, and become... You know, I think their goal is to be one of the the top wedding resort companies in the in the country, right? Isn't that the, yeah, the big vision? Yeah, that is abs- that that is the big vision. I mean, every time we take down a, a, another one, we're able to transform it to like you know, it's incredible actually what they do. You know, and every yep. time that they do it, so I think that they pick good projects and you know 
people love yep, it. And still the super early stages, but it's a, it's a big fun to watch. So cool. Well, yeah. where can people connect uh, with you if they're interested in getting contact with any questions or learn more about accountable equity or any of that? Yeah. So my personal email uh, for the for the company email is a gaglani. So it's a g a g l a n i at accountableequity.com. I'm sure you'll have it in the show notes yep. as well. Yep. And as well as accountableequity.com is our website. So they can find out more about the funds that we have and the things that we're doing. But I would definitely encourage anybody who's interested in what we're talking about, because these, this is a totally different type of investment than you're used to. You might be used to looking at multifamily deals or self storage or, you know, mobile home parks, but, you know, uh, wedding venues, you know, and to see the benefits of the wedding venues, you don't really see that that often. And we have some models that are perpetual equity models where yep. they're owners for life. After they've gotten all their money back, they have no skin in the game and they're ownership for life. I don't, I don't know about you, Brian, but I don't really see those that often. Yeah. You, don't, you never see them. And that's, uh, you know, it's not like flipping apartment syndications every five to seven years and you got to redeploy. Correct. It's, you know, you put your money in, they're going to do a bunch of work, get a refi, get your money back. And then, you know, you have, like I said, equity, equity for life, potentially passed on your kids, potentially all, all that stuff. If, um, yeah. you know, as long as they continue to own it and, and operate it. Yeah. So, and we have no plans on selling any of our properties. That's not even in our like pro forma. We, we, we just retain them and, and run them properly. Yep. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Stuff. Well, definitely, definitely good options for people to know and be aware that they got, they got options to invest in businesses that mix real estate and hospitality. It's not all just apartments or shelf storage. So yeah, but anyway, we're great. stocks. So cool, man. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. It's been, it's been fun. Thanks, Brian. Always a pleasure. That's all we got for this episode with the Business with Beers podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is to rate the show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Also make sure to link up with me on your preferred social media platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find all my links at brianbeers.com. Please just share the podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember to take the actions others won't to live the life that others don't. 